Let us pray. O most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your word and how you have given us your word. And Lord, we seek now to come before you in holiness and in truth. We seek to come before you and to learn from Jesus Christ himself. Lord, be with us now. Send your spirit to us. Conform us more and more into the image of Christ that we may declare your glory and your salvation to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. I've always had a great deal of respect and admiration uh, for the rhetorical prowess of the infomercial, because there's nothing else that's really quite like it that I've ever discovered. There's this block of time that's between 15 and 30 minutes on television, and the, the the product buys that time, and they spend all of that time dedicated to their product, showing how wonderful it is, and they have to ma maintain your attention, even though there's actual entertainment, just a click away. And so they have to pull out every single rhetorical trick imaginable to maintain your attention, to keep you focused, and to make you see the value of their product. And I always love how they, they take out a knife, and they'll show you the knife, and then they'll, they'll cut things with it. They'll show you how incredible this knife is. They'll show you the craftsmanship. They'll show you the quality. They'll show you, don't you need this knife in your life? And then they'll set it down. And then they'll begin adding things to the pile. Uh, they'll begin to pull out a paring knife. And they'll say, don't you need a paring knife? And if you've never seen a paring knife, if you don't have a paring knife, you begin to think to yourself, no, I do need one. And then you begin to think, that would be wonderful to have. And they put that down. Then they bring out the cleaver. They bring out the steak knives. They bring out the turkey baster. They just keep piling up the value right there in front of you. And then, of course, at the very end of it, they say, we can't do this all day, but we're going to double this offer absolutely free. And you have the chance to have all of this double right here. And that's kind of what I think that Paul is doing in this passage. Because this passage before us today is one of the great passages in Scripture. It is the blessing passage in Ephesians. And here in this passage, Paul, for 11 verses, is just throwing out blessing after blessing after blessing that we have in Jesus Christ, in our great salvation that he has wrought. And here, he has to go from blessing to blessing to blessing, and he's piling them up in front of you. And he's not doing this as a sleazy infomercial salesman. What he's doing here is he wants you to be absolutely captivated by the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. He wants you to recognize that there is nothing else like it. Paul's not after your wallet. He's after your heart. And he's after your voice. He's 100% focused on the great salvation that we have in Christ. And he just keeps layering blessing upon blessing upon blessing. I want us to look at one of these blessings. I want us to look at verses 5 and 6. But he has to build off of verses 3 and 4. And 3 and 4 are talking about the great blessing of election, how God, before the beginning of time itself, predestined his elect for salvation. He predestined them before time itself, and he brought them to himself. And it's a wonderful blessing. We get to see God's love for us before we were created, before we did anything. When he saw us, and if he only saw us, he would have just seen sinners, yet he still loves us. 
and yet he has to follow up this incredible blessing with something else. And he follows it up with the blessing of adoption. And I want us to see that the blessing of adoption doesn't play second fiddle to the blessing of election. There is great and wonderful truth here for us to sink our hearts into, to sink our souls into, for us to meditate on, and for us to worship our God all the better because of. And so today I want to do a three-point sermon. I want to, It's very simple. I want us to look at what, I want us to look at how, and I want us to look at why. What, how, and why. And so the first thing I want us to see is I want us to see the what. I want us to see that we are adopted as sons. We're adopted as sons. And that's what it says in the current version of the ESV and also the KJV. It says we are adopted as sons. You know, and Paul here, he's announcing that Christians are adopted by sons, by God himself. And that would have actually astounded any Jew that was listening, any Jew in this congregation. Because adoption wasn't around in ancient Israel there was no mechanism in the Messianic law to bring someone from one family and then bring them into another family. If you look in the, the first five books of the Bible, you don't see that. That's not what Israelites do. They're, they're divided into different tribes, and they stay in those different tribes. The closest thing that we can find is actually in 2 Samuel 9, which is really a heartwarming passage. In that passage, David is trying to find a son of Jonathan. And he's trying to find a son of Jonathan for him to show his love. Jonathan was his closest friend. He made a covenant with Jonathan. And he was trying to find some living member of that family for him to show his love. And he finds a lame cripple by the strange name of Mephibosheth, who's on the run and is absolutely frightened that David is going to have him assassinated. And David finds Mephibosheth and he brings him into his house and he says, you have nothing to fear from me. You will sit at my table. You will enjoy food and drink with me. I will give you an allowance. I will give you land. I will give you servants to work that land. You will enjoy great things at my table. And he showers Mephibosheth with blessing after blessing after blessing. But the thing about that passage is, no matter how much David blesses Mephibosheth, David, Mephibosheth could never call David father. That was still not done. He was never able to call David father. And you can look in the Old Testament, you can see little glimpses of adoption, little glimpses here and there, but they're very small. You know, Israel, in some fashion, is a child of God. In some fashion, the nation of Israel. God acts as a father, and and chastises them, builds them up. And also, in some manner, more specifically, the Davidic kings are sons of God. They're treated as sons. And God looks after them, he builds them. When they go astray, he punishes them. But when they come back, he, he blesses them. And you see that. But individual Jews were not supposed to call upon God as father. And when you look at the New Testament, when you look at the great prayer that our Savior taught us, the Lord's Prayer, when it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, that was really quite radical. Everyone would have poked up their ears at that. You mean I can call personally God as Father and come before Him as prayer, not just as my great God, 
not just as my great covenantal God, but actually as my Father. That was a powerful thing. And it's something that the Jews would have realized this is a blessing that we don't have. You know, the Jews were good at counting up their blessings. If you went to an Old Testament Jew and you asked them, what are your blessings that you have? They would have loved to share the list. They would have said, well, let me show you the Bible. Let me show you the Old Testament. Have you heard of the Torah? Have you heard of the law? God has revealed this to us. Have you seen the covenant signs of Passover and circumcision? We have those. God is not just God. He is our God. We are his people. He dwells with us. And we get to worship him as his covenant people. And that's an impressive list of blessings. But nowhere in there is the blessing of adoption. And this is something new and this is something fresh. Each of us is able to come before God and to call him Father. We are able to come before him as sons. I want you to notice in verse 5, most of your translations will say, it says, adopted as sons. And I, I prefer that. I think that's actually important. Because Paul here, he's, he's trying to focus attention on sons. He's not trying to put women to the side. It's, it's actually quite the opposite. What Paul here is trying to do is he's trying to say that men and women are in the kingdom of God as sons. They are able to come before God their Father as sons, men and women. And that's because in the Old Testament there, and in the ancient world, there were real differences between being a son and being a daughter. It had to do with inheritance rights. You know, if you were a son you had a share of the inheritance. You knew that something was coming to you when your father died. Daughters did not. They would only receive an inheritance if there were no other sons around. And even then, there'd have to be very few other living relatives who were male. The, the, the inheritance would have to go through several layers before they could actually inherit anything. And what Paul here is saying is that there are no second-class children in the kingdom of God. All of us come before God as sons and have the right to an inheritance. We are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Christ. Each of us gets it all. And what I want us to do here today is I want us to talk about the blessing of election. I want us to see how it makes a dramatic difference in our Christian life how it powers so much of what we do, how it can truly power our worship. And the first thing I want you to see is that adoption changes your relationship with God. Previously, you're, you're a rebel. You're a sinner, deserving of God's wrath and condemnation. And now you are able to come before God as a child, not, not as a judge who wants to punish you, you're able to come before God as your father. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. And it changes your perspective on everything that you face in this life. It changes your perspective on the good things that you receive. You know, each of us has many blessings. Many blessings. I'm not just talking about spiritual blessings. I'm talking about physical blessings that you've received from God. You know, you can count up on your hands. You can say, I thank God for my family. God has given me 
money. He's given me a home. He's given me a car. He's given me things I can enjoy. And these are good and wonderful things. But when you understand that you were adopted by God, it changes the color of those blessings. Because they're no longer blessings that come from God as a distant benefactor who gives them to you. These are blessings that God showers upon you out of the overflow of his blessings simply because he wants to bless his children. He wants to give you a gift and you are to receive it from his hand as the gift of your heavenly father. There's nothing in this world which has not been created, nothing good which is not there for you to look upon, you're able to say, my Heavenly Father put it there. And He put it there to remind me of His love, to focus my attention back on Him, to love Him all the more. It changes the way you look upon the blessings. But it also changes the way you look upon the hardships of this life. It changes the way you look at the judgments of God, too. It gives you a different set of lenses, a slightly different color to it all. Because if you go through a trial, if you go through a punishment, if you, if you recognize God is punishing you for something, he's sending you through a hard time, you are able to go through it, not just thinking to yourself, God is a judge who is now meeting out his justice upon me, a sinner and rebel, and the, actually I deserve the pits of hell. You are able to go through judgment, not just as someone approaching a throne of judgment, but you're able to approach this trial as the discipline from your Heavenly Father. The Bible actually talks about the judgment that we receive, the trials that we receive as Christians are actually blessings because they come from the hand of our Heavenly Father. He makes sure that we are disciplined. He corrects us when we are wrong. He brings us closer to Himself. He keeps us close. And when he gives us trials, it's not merely to show his anger. And he can be displeased with us, even, his, even us, his covenant children. He can be displeased. But he's not displeased in the way that he's displeased with someone who's not his child. This is the displeasure of a father who loves his son, loves his daughter, who wants to bring that child back to himself, who wants to see that child to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. And that is a truly wonderful thing. It means that you're able to go through this life and anything you face, you're able to approach with hope. You're able to approach God differently in this life. And it also means that you're able to approach God in prayer differently. You are able to approach God in prayer with boldness. You're able to approach his throne, not merely as a throne of judgment, but as a throne of grace. You're able to approach with boldness as someone who's not just been declared righteous by the judge, but someone who is able to enter the courtroom as a son, who is able to go and listen and speak to their heavenly father. You know, in the great throne room of heaven, where God holds court, we are able to enter in by prayer, and we are able to enter in, and the angels wait their turn when we speak to our Heavenly Father.
you know, I'm, my, my father is a seminary professor, and he has for years handed out his phone number to every single one of his students, and he said, you can call me anytime you run into an issue. If you run into an issue in your church, if you run into a, like a ministry difficulty, if you have a theological question, you can call me. And over the decades, he has given out his phone number to a great number of people. He, he's now reaping the whirlwind. He gets a lot of calls. But no one who calls him, calls him on a weekly basis just to kind of chat, just to kind of catch up. They recognize that the access they've been given to my father is not that kind of access. He's happy to help them with their issues. He's happy to help them with their problems. But he's not there just to kind of get to know them. It is entirely different when I call him. I know that he is willing to talk to me anytime, day or night. And he's actually able, eager to pick up the phone. I actually don't need a particular reason, unless it's after 10 p.m., then he needs a reason. But he's, he's eager to talk to me. And I can call him time after time after time, and he's eager to listen to me. The difference between me and my father's students is not that I'm a better student. It has nothing to do with me going to seminary. It has to do with me being a son. That's what gives me the access to my father. And that's what gives us the great access of approaching our Heavenly Father with boldness. We're able to come before God in prayer. And that's really where we get to see adoption matter all the most. It's in our prayers. Because it means we're, we're supposed to approach God, our Father, daily in prayer to seek His face, to pray to Him, to ask Him for help. The most natural posture of a Christian is on his knees, coming before God in prayer, seeking His face and saying, Lord, Father, I have nothing without You. Everything I have comes from your hand. I need you moment by moment. Help me. It's that approaching our Heavenly Father. That is the natural thing that we as Christians do. We don't need a reason to approach God in prayer. We should simply come before Him and praise Him as our Father. We don't need to approach Him because we're having difficulties that week. We should simply desire to be with him because of who he is and because of what he has done. One final thing. Adoption also means that we are given a new nature in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure that some of the people here in this room are actually related to each other. And you can actually look at each other and you can kind of compare your hands, you can compare your noses, you can see that there is a family resemblance in your physical features. And what our adoption means, our spiritual adoption, means that we are supposed to look like each other, not physically, but spiritually. When we look at each other, we should recognize that we are being steadily transformed more and more into the image of our brother, Jesus Christ. And when the world looks at us, we should be seen as someone that reminds them of that Jesus they keep hearing about. Someone who acts like Jesus. Someone who talks like Jesus. Someone who treats them as Jesus would. 
And it's part of God. He's, he's sending his spirit to us. He's conforming us more and more into his image. And it's why we do some things and we don't do other things. When I would sit at the table and if I chewed with my mouth open, my, my father would say, son, Rankins don't chew with their mouths open. And in the same way, when we look at the Bible, we, we see who we are in Jesus Christ, and we recognize, I am supposed to act as a Christian should. I'm supposed to act, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, in a manner worthy of my calling. It's what should drive us. Drive us to act more like our Heavenly Father, more like Jesus Christ. There's no greater privilege in the gospel than adoption. And many of you have heard of J.I. Packer. Many of you have probably read some of his works. J.I. Packer was, was challenged one day to come up with the simplest and smallest summary of the gospel possible. And he was able to get it down to three words. Adoption through propitiation. Adoption through Jesus taking the wrath of God on the cross as an atonement for our sins. The focus is on adoption, where we're able to come before God. We're able to see that we are brought into the family of God by God himself. That's our great salvation. More briefly, I want to go over my second and third points. I want us to talk about the how. We're not just adopted as sons. We are also adopted by grace, by grace. Paul is not just talking about adoption in order to wow you with adoption, in order to get you to understand the wondrous thing that you have received. His real purpose is actually trying to get you to see beyond it to the grace of God that's behind it. He wants you to see that it is the grace of God that has adopted you. And few things show us more vividly the grace of God than adoption. Few things. You know, we're, we're Presbyterians, and that means we tend to like talking about predestination a fair bit. And we love seeing how the love of God comes to us. He loved us before the foundation of the world. We love verses 3 and 4 of this chapter. But the incredible thing about adoption is that it takes election and it kind of de-abstracts it. Election's kind of a problem because it's hard to think through timing. It's before creation itself, before time existed, God loved us. If you want to understand what election means, what predestination means, just look at adoption. Because we get to see election made concrete. We're able to see the love of God before time itself come down the corridors of time, enter into time, and elect us and adopt us. We're able to see what it means. God's electing love means that we are adopted. And that's why Paul says he, he, he predestined us for adoption. Predestination leads to adoption and it showcases God's grace, God's love to us working unilaterally. We have no part in our adoption. We don't do anything. We don't wave our hands and cry aloud for our Heavenly Father to adopt us. He chooses us because He loves us with that same great love before the foundation of the earth. And He shows us this grace, this grace 
that is in Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 5, we are adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6 it says, To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Everything we have, every grace we have received from God is communicated to us through Jesus Christ. There is no good thing that you have received from your Heavenly Father which is outside of Jesus Christ. It comes to us through Jesus Christ. Everything's bound up in Him. You cannot get beyond Him. And it is out of the overflow of the love of Jesus Christ that we are loved as His children. We're supposed to see the how. We're supposed to see the grace. And that means we're supposed to go to the third point. We're supposed to see why. We are adopted as sons. We are adopted by grace. But we are also adopted for praise. That's the reason Paul is so concerned about adoption. And it's the reason he's so concerned about all these blessings. It's for the praise of God. It's not just about doctrine. It's not just trying to teach a systematic theology and make sure that all our ducks are in a row. The reason is for worship. We come before God. We understand what he has done. And our desire is to sing better. Our desire is to come before God and to always have a reason to pray to him and praise his name. It's supposed to clothe our love of God with greater and greater reasons for that love, so that when we come into the worship service, people can see it. People can see more clearly the love that we have for our Heavenly Father. Adoption is supposed to point us to God, and it's supposed to make us worship our Heavenly Father. Now there is a bit of a problem here, a potential problem with adoption. I want to address that real quick. The problem is, that there are some people, and there may be some people in this room, who have actually had very poor experiences with their fathers, the fathers of this world. And they've, they've really looked upon their fathers, they, they look upon the past and they recognize that their father was in some ways a bit of a disappointment. And they think back on it, and that when they think about father being a father, about God being a father, it's hard to associate fatherhood with God. It's hard to recognize that as a joy and something sweet. And I just want to say, that's actually a real pastoral difficulty. That's a profound, important pastoral difficulty. But the best way I know to describe it is actually, I think it's, it's a satanic attack, trying to take away from you some sweetness of the gospel, trying to make it so that you don't come before God as your heavenly Father. And there is a remedy I want to tell you the story of Henry Francis Light. Henry Francis Light is a great hymn writer in the faith. We're actually going to be singing one of his hymns. We're going to be singing, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. And he's really quite an excellent hymn writer. But he had an incredibly troubled upbringing with his father. His father left his mother, ran off with another woman, married her. And then his stepmother said, It is either me or your son. You must choose. And his father said, well, I choose you. I'm going to take my son. I'm going to send him away to boarding school for the rest of his childhood. And for years, 
Henry Francis Lunt never lived in his home, wasn't able to see his father. He was just at boarding school. And the only contact he would have was a series of letters. We were incredibly businesslike. And about halfway through those letters, somewhere around the age of 10 or 12, I believe, his father sent him a letter and said, you know, it's, it's time. You're, you're not a child anymore. It's time for you to call me uncle. And from then on, every single letter was simply signed, Uncle Light. And that, that's someone who understands he has had an incredibly difficult upbringing with his father. And it must have been hard for him to look upon God as father. But you're able to see in his hymns wonderful passages that poke through about the fatherhood of God. And the hymn we're going to be singing in verse 3, it says this, Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. How was it that Henry Francis Light was able to write words like that with his father being the way he was? It's because he looked upon God as father, and he recognized he needed to see the love that God the Father had for God the Son. He needed to look to Jesus Christ. He needed to see the real thing, the thing that our fathers only emulate. He needed to see the love of God the Father, the love that made it so that he gave, promised him a people before the foundation of the world, the love that makes it so that we're able to see on the cross the great agony of Jesus Christ. We're able to see the Father's love that coming out upon Jesus in his humanity. We need to see the love that the Father has for the Son, and we need to meditate upon that. And then we need to approach God as our Father. We need to see that he is our Father and that he loves us with that same love. And that should warm our hearts and it should lead us into praise more and more. And so today, come before God as Father. Come before him as we sing. Come before him today in prayer. Whether for the first time in a month, whether for the hundredth time today because your life seems to be falling apart, come before him in prayer. And know this, that when you say the words, our Father who art in heaven, you are whisked into the throne room of God. The angels are shoved out of the way. You have your Father's undivided attention. And you are able to know you have the ear of your Father. And you are able to know the great blessings that you have in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our brother. Let us pray.